You're listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider, Brandon Jaggers, Jeff Riggs, and me, C.C. Broadus. The Auxiliary Gate, big promise. It's the first podcast of 2024, episode number 166 of the Auxiliary Gate Podcast. I'm C.C. Broadus. Starting tonight, we are on the road to probably the the biggest event that we cover, something that everybody looks forward to in this area, and it's not that far away. I'm speaking, of course, of Valentine's Day, Alan Schneider. I know you celebrate Valentine's Day harder than the rest of us. Uh, I do. I do. When I, th- when I think of making love, I, my brain goes right to you. Oh, God. But, uh, <laughs> Alan, you're joined by Jeff Riggs and Brandon Jaggers. Jeff, how are you doing, sir? Doing very well. It caught me off guard with that one, CC, but hey, I wouldn't expect anything less not talking to you guys for, for a couple weeks or a week or however long it was. Brandon, my girlfriend, doesn't remember our second date. What? Is that is that a me problem or is that a, a she problem? I'd say it's a she problem because I don't remember my second day with my wife. I remember my third, and that was then after that we became a couple. And then wow. I don't think we have a date. We don't date. Like I think we just married. Yeah, I think she she may have passed out, and then the problem is, did she pass out out of boredom or did I drug her? <laughs> Gosh, you should remember that. Yeah. You know, it went, you know it went my wife. On our second date, Anselmo's it doesn't exist anymore, but it was it was around circa 2015 when we went out on that second date. But, Aww, that's so sweet. Yeah, that's a long time ago. Right, that's right. So, well, all right, guys. Was... Well, it's, it's it's good to see you all, or good to talk anyway. Uh, everybody have a good uh, uh, holiday season, Christmas, New Year's. Hell yeah. That was great. Yeah, that was a killer. Kids. Kids. All right. Well, that sounds that sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, we got a lot to catch up on here. A lot of good racing that happened uh, over the over the past two weeks. Uh, had a decent derby prep uh, last uh, Monday. Catching Freedom won the Smarty Jones Stakes for Brad Cox and the Eyeball Stables. This uh, this horse made his third start uh, for that team and. Uh, the horse has a lot of potential. He, he was a little green in the stretch, but he, he did run down the leader late. And catching freedom, probably uh, going to be on a, on a few uh, derby lists going forward. Anybody happen to catch that race? I did not. I did not. I, I agree with you, CC. I, I think that's the name of the game with catching freedom is potential, you know, only being the third career race and, uh, you know, still being a little bit green. Seems like needs to figure it out a little bit mentally still. But, um, you know, he's one who puts it all together. Could really be a serious derby threat, I think. Now, prior to that, they, they ran the Gunrunner Stakes. I think it's the day after Christmas at Fairgrounds. Uh, Jeff, I know that's, uh, Fairgrounds is your track. What, what'd you think about, uh, uh, was, it was, uh, Nash, who was the heavy favorite and he was, he, 
Yep, yep. Nash was the big favorite, and uh, he was beaten by Track Phantom for uh, uh, Steve Asmussen, which is you know it's too surprising for anybody. But um, you know, I thought Track Phantom ran did run very well. It was it was basically wire to wire, but he, I mean, he took quite a bit of pressure early on in that race, and still kind of put that inside rival away, and then uh, held off the. Uh, you know, the heavily favored Nash that was coming and then, and then Sneed, who is a, a Brennan Walsh horse who, um, I, when we were talking about potential, I think maybe that's the one you kind of won out of that race. I, I thought he ran very well. And then the way Walsh was talking about him after the race, uh, he thinks he'll just continue getting better with, with distance and starts. He thinks he has some untapped potential there. So, um, I think that's, that's the one that I, I really have my eye on the most with the Derby preps coming up to Sneed. That's uh, well. I was going to ask you uh, which performance did you like better, Track Phantom at Fairgrounds or uh, Catching Freedom at Oaklawn? I, I think looking forward, I preferred Catching Freedom because I think that Sneed is the horse I wanted out of the Gun Runner. All right, perfect. Let's uh, well, let's move on here. We've got some maiden winners too, as well. Uh, Born Noble broke his maiden at uh, Gulfstream. That's a horse to keep an eye on. Uh, Pletcher tends to gear his up at this time of year. Seems like uh, he'll he'll have some nice uh, two-year-old prospects uh, coming to the front as the son of Constitution uh, for the uh, I believe the same connections that had Always Dreaming, uh, Saint Elias stable. So uh, that's that's a horse to watch going forward. He'll probably resurface in in an allowance race or or uh, even a even a stakes race. Maybe he goes to the Sam Davis at Tampa Bay, but uh, uh, Impel a nice. Uh, uh, Philly for uh, Cox and I believe Judmont that is a, a son of Quality Road or a daughter of Quality Road. That uh, was mm-hmm. impressive beating uh, Tipsy Tammy on debut from the Bower Stable. Uh, Tipsy Tammy, I think maybe went off four to five or something like that. So the buzz was real, but uh, uh, Cox uh, and and, uh, and Judmont have a, a really nice uh, Philly in Impale. Uh, Jeff, did you catch uh, Impale? I did, yeah. I was going to say you were talking fairgrounds. That's one I was going to bring up was Impel. I thought she was incredibly impressive, especially, uh, you know, taking out that well-regarded Bower runner. We know how hot that barn's been and how their, their firsters, uh, their young fillies are, are running and, and those two beat the rest of the field by over 10 lengths. So, I mean, that was a really serious performance by both of them and Impel won, you know, pretty easily. Um, in that race. So I, I think she's definitely one to watch moving forward. And then, you know, you're talking about Brad Cox babies in general. I thought Ethan energy was impressive too. Did y'all see that one run? Yes. Yes. That's, yeah. that's that horse was working with catching freedom prior to that start. So that, yeah. And he, I think he outworked catching freedom. So that, that's a, that's a horse with a bright future. Absolutely. Yeah. Improved a ton stretching out second asking. Uh, I mean, yeah, as you said, you know, improved a ton one by over five going away. Um, the the buyer was 83 which is respectable but not anything crazy you know i don't i don't necessarily love when 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 those young horses run those huge buyers early on you know i kind of like to see that that incremental um progress and i think this one probably still has some more untapped potential as well now let's get to our friends our previous guests uh, uh full of run stable for Dan Glick Dan Glick was a uh, previous guest uh, they they had a good uh Holiday season, Alpine Princess is now a stakes winner, and then she's firmly on the Kentucky Oaks Trail. Brandon, to talk a little bit more about Alpine Princess. Yeah, after Alpine kind of uh, did not, uh, I guess, had her head in the game at the Dar- Darley Isabides uh, Stakes Race at Keeneland. Uh, you know, she came back to run that allowance at Churchill. 
uh, November 26 and did really well. Uh, you know, went, went off, uh, pretty much from the lead and, and led all the way home, uh, in that Churchill. I think that was closing day too. Uh, really kind of nasty out. The track was a little muddy and she did great there and then, uh, came back. They shipped down to fairgrounds and, uh, she came back and didn't break all that great, but, uh, set off a little bit off the pace, but still kept a good rail trip. Uh, was able to turn for home on the intappable stakes. And, uh, she got a, a black type listed stake, uh, for that race and, uh, 10 points on the way to the Oaks, uh, Oaks Trail. So, uh, looks like her buyer, or I don't know her buyer, but equity, Equibase speed number was 95. So it was much improved, uh, than the, the, her four other starts. Yeah. I was going to say real quick, uh, Alpine Prince's buyer was 84. So nice yeah. Effort. Nice effort. Yeah. Then. He, they had another one called Pursuit of Liberty, uh, another filly, make a four start and her first allowance race, uh, down at fairgrounds on, uh, New Year's Eve. And that, that horse, that filly went off on turf, uh, coming off the pace and kind of going right down the middle of the turf, uh, to, to capture that win. And it looked pretty impressive. Uh, I thought Alpine though was, has got something more in the tank. Uh, the horse was barely asked, kind of coming down the lane. Uh, did get some urging though late, but I, I think that horse is still green and has a lot to, lot to go on. So Dan's got a full barn and he's got another starter coming up at, um, Oaklawn. I just had this. Oh, it's Nightquick. Nightquick is a four year old that they have now. So, um, that's an allowance for pipe runners. So we wish him well in Oaklawn. Uh, later this week. So, and last but not least, our friend, our good friend Michelle Lovell had a had a big holiday season as well. Uh, oh, yeah. One of the stakes at Fairgrounds with Just Might. Uh, our spiritual leader Jerry Romans won an allowance race on Monday with uh, Sultry Lass, a nice uh, Bernardina filly. And, uh, last but not least, maybe pertinent to the Derby Trail, Doncho, son of Motown, won the uh, one of his first start. Uh, broke his maiden in his first start and earned a buyer of 94, Alan. Isn't that something? The first time starter this time of year? Three, I guess, would have been, yeah, it been threes. That was this year, right? Um, 94 buyer, first start after dueling on the lead, drawing off. My God, she's got a serious racehorse there. How often do we say that? Uh, again, are we biased because she's our friend? Yes. Is every horse she puts out there running very well? Yes, and has been for a while. So uh, her barn's on fire right now, but she's a patient trainer. Uh, respect respect the world out of her and the job she does, and paying dividends. Three big races in a week, and a lot of other horses run exceptionally well. So, but yeah, Doncho is at the top of that list of horses to watch. All right, uh, we've got a repeat guest on our show this evening, and uh, uh, one we're very excited about. And let's get to him right away. Everland had all sorts of trouble. What you wish took a very awkward step, and it really compromised Everland midway through the turn. Serene Waters has the lead. Old-fashioned girl. Here is Everland up the inside, and Vino from Ernie's Everland's taking off. How good is Everland this evening? She deserves this victory. Vino from Ernie's is fighting with her, but it's Everland. Everland, I like your style, girl. Everland wins the money from Vino from Ernie's. All right, uh, we had him on last year when he uh, filled in on the mic at Turfway Park. 
by way of Finger Lakes, Finger Lakes in upstate New York. And now that he is flat killing it as the permanent announcer uh, there up in Florence, we just had to have the man, Tony Kahlo, back on our podcast tonight. So uh, without further ado, Tony, how's it going, my man? It's going. Thanks for having me back on, guys. Pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's been a, it was a pleasure having you last time. We were excited when we found you were getting the gig there, and it's been nothing but uh, nothing but great so far, at least in my estimation. Uh, but you know, so now you have. Steve, if, if I remember last time you were... Obviously, you didn't listen to Thursday's fifth race, so... Oh, I probably <laughs> did. We'll have to get into that in a little bit. There's a few we're going to get into, by the way. Yeah. But if I remember last time, you went from Colorado to California to New York, and now you're in Kentucky. So, ironically, it's safe to say that you, too, have covered more ground than the jockey's agent, right? Is that correct? <laughs> I've covered a lot of ground. You left off uh, Arizona and New Mexico a uh, couple of weekends in Texas. Uh, <laughs> I, well, you know, I wanted to get that in because of your great race call the other day. I, I that, just, that. that just tells you how old I am, unfortunately. And would you care to share that? I'll tell you how old I am. I'm 53. How about you? Yep, you I'm, fi- to... I'm 55. So. All right. Okay. Yeah. Maybe that's why we get along. And, and, uh, a, and, a, and a big shout out to Churchill for hiring an old man like myself. Hey, they made the right call. So they they get a lot of crap a lot of times, whatever. They sure they sure made the right call here. Uh, before we dive into this announcing gig, though, uh, you are a transplant. You're a transplant to Northern Kentucky. So how's uh how's life treating you as a Northern Kentuckian, a new Northern Kentuckian, uh, as your travels have taken you here to the bluegrass? Yeah, things have been great. You know, I, I've been staying pretty uh, low key. Tend to business pretty much um, Wednesday morning till Saturday night, and uh, I ventured a little bit out on some Sundays to go watch some NFL, and been treated very nicely by everybody. I've had had some good times. I'm glad you brought the NFL because we'll get that in just a second. But uh, have you found any good hangout? Because that, that's Florence area, Florence, Covington, Cincinnati. It's a pretty heavy metropolitan area. There's a lot. There's a lot of stuff going on up that way. Have you found any good hangouts up that way so far? You know, I, I've I've only been to a few. Um, Found a what was it tap tap room eight fifty four or something had some pretty good food and some some pretty good beer on tap that was it was a little low key but you know that's that's all right but uh, I will say this uh, everybody drives pretty crazy around here that's for sure it, it gets a little hectic up there once you get up to seventy five around Cincinnati and all those exits that come right at one right to another doesn't it, it it's nuts um, I haven't lived in the Bay Area Northern California since. Uh, since late 06 and it's very reminiscent it might even be crazier uh you know i've got i've got an older truck and you've got to keep your distance and you can't slam on the brakes now i rented a car for christmas to go visit my girlfriend and now i know why people drive the way they do because they accelerate push button they maneuver like there's no tomorrow and they stop on a dime boy it must be nice yeah it's, the older <laughs> i get the less i like it but uh, as I recall again last time, because you are in the greater Cincinnati area, right? And you're a Raiders fan. Am I not mistaken? I am a diehard Raiders fan, which I learned last year wearing my Max Crosby jersey out might not have been the best thing to do that night. <laughs> well, I was going to tell you, you may not have known this, but because I knew you were coming on and I knew you're a Raiders fan, I was looking this up. Did you know that the Raiders are playing at Cincinnati next year? I did not know that. No, I um 
the Raiders, we basically live week to week as fans because it's a love hate relationship of late. <laughs> yeah, well, they're, they're playing okay. They're probably going to miss the playoffs, but Aiden O'Connell's been pretty good for them, hasn't he? Uh, you know, I guess he's all right. I've been more more impressed with the defense, to be honest. Uh, but well, well the, I, I mean, I'll be a diehard Raider fan until to the day I'm done. I um, was very fortunate growing up in the '70s when they were really in their heyday. So pretty cool. Yeah. Kenny Stabler. I was hoping maybe I was thinking maybe Turfway should do a promotion, right? Where they give away tickets to the Raiders and the Bengals, right? That's what I'm thinking. It sounds like a nice little cross promotion. And then, you know, keep me in mind in, in case they do that. So you got it, brother. Up the ballot <laughs> box. All right. On to the announcing. Okay. I'm not the kind of guy that would bet a one to nine shot, uh, but that would have been your odds to succeed at Turfway. I think I would have made that bet. Um, from what I've seen, uh, from talking to these guys, from talking to other people, the reaction has been, uh, no surprise, overwhelmingly positive so far. Again, not a surprise to me, but it's still, you know, th- being a new guy in town, that has to feel pretty good, right? That it's been so positive. Without a doubt. Um, Turfway Park, I think, is, well, I know for sure in my career, it's probably the most challenging thing I've done. It's um, Every race is 12 horses and names I don't know, people's names I don't know, jockey silks, owner silks. Obviously, trader silks, I don't know. It, it's, it's taken a lot of time, a lot of effort. And, um, it's, it's, my girlfriend doesn't want me to use the term difficult, but, um, it's not easy. I can tell you that. And it's taken all my years of, uh, of doing this going on near 30 to be able to, to handle it. it it's challenging and I do like that. I, it's funny now that I've been here for five weeks now and, um, you get six or seven, and I'm bored. <laughs> <laughs> right on. And, I, and I'm finding myself prone to making more mistakes with six or seven because I'm just, like, really not um, – Your I'm pacing's not war- off at that point, right? My, you get my, seven at that point. Pacing's off. Um, my warm-up preparation is probably a little um, relaxed. Oh, I've only got seven. Take a chill pill. Why, when you got 12, it's just, I mean – I've got a routine. The horses come over, so I'm, I'm jotting down all their equipment in the program. Then I have to go and start memorizing, and then I have I'm at the mercy of whatever silks I've colored into my program. Hopefully, they're somewhat correct. Um, that's been yeah. about 85 percent of the time. Yeah. And um, then you got to recolor, and then you got to get back to the memorization. And then all of a sudden you're just trying to breathe and, and get them out of the gate. <laughs> I tell you what, you're doing a good job of fooling us then because you're, you, you actually kind of stole the next, it's almost like you read my next question here. Uh, your process, your, your calls have been entertaining, extremely highly entertaining, but in, in addition, they've been informative and, and pretty intuitive, you know? Um, and I've got a couple examples. You probably know a couple of examples I may bring up, but as you just said with the 12 horse fields, it's at night. There's so many challenges. The process that you have must be working. It must be on point. There's got to be something that you do as a preparation thing that makes that a, makes that a possibility. I'll, I'll tell you exactly. Here's, here's my routine, everybody. I, I wake up, um, let's say tomorrow. I'll wake up tomorrow morning. I haven't, I haven't really sneaked too much into Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and I haven't really even looked to really see – in depth who's in tomorrow. And that's just basically my routine has been, I don't want to get myself confused with who's in Friday. That makes when sense. I have, when I have, now if Finger Lakes, I already know who's in a week before because I know every horse and I'm already sneaking a peek. I, d- I don't want to really mess myself up here. So I wake up the morning of the day and I get settled in and 
takes I got about a two hour window to color. It takes me about two hours to start coloring, which is insane. I've never colored before, by the way. This is the first really? racetrack, first racetrack I've ever colored at in my life. I, I was taught by Michael Rona and Michael really emphasized me with memorization. And that's how I've done it. And, and you'll be able to, I'm going to, I'm going to give you guys a little, you can, a little, how do you say it? A little, um, you can tell when I'm on rhythm or not. If, if, if you hear me in rhythm, you know that I've got my memorization down really well and I'm not looking at my program. Cause yeah. I, I will, I will go through a race where I don't look at the program. Dave, I believe it's Dave Pate, one of our placing judges. He, he was snuck out, he snuck out on the balcony and watched me call a race. And a couple races later, he was like, he said, I was wondering why you warm up the way you do. And he's all, I realized it when I watched you call a race. You don't look at your program. And I go, well, things go well. I don't look at my program. And that's why you'll make the mistake of calling violin viola. Yeah. Because you'll warm up saying viola, viola, viola. And, you know, all it takes is that one little tweak where you're warming up and you're not looking at your program because that's the way I've been taught all my life and, and get the memorization process going. So, but it, I, I wake up and I start with the coloring and then I get to the racetrack and I chill, you know, I get to the racetrack probably about four thirty, four fifteen, and, um, kind of relax, get my, uh, get all the changes and everything. And, and then once the night starts, it's just pretty hectic. But you know, is this a deal where every announcer, maybe it's his own worst critic in that, in that regard, and that you may make a small slip up that, even the most in, in tune people, like in, like some of us, wouldn't even notice. Is that a deal where ninety nine percent you're the only one notice that you mess up and nobody else does? I would, you know, for the most part, I think um, I don't really like sometimes the way I. Yeah, you know, I think sometimes I've listened to some of my other colleagues, and maybe they're a little better at disguising it. Like for me, I'm just so committed to like getting through the field, and then when I start struggling a little bit, you know, you'll tell. I'll, I'll go to back to the front. That was something that Michael Rohn emphasized to me back when I was in my early 20s. You know, mate, if you ever run into a snafu in your call, just go back to the front and get the rhythm going again. And best advice I was ever given. Makes sense. I bet you love those Godolphin colors and those Judmont colors, don't you? They make it easy, don't they? You know, I do. I really, I've, I've grown, you know, and I, I like the Bronwood Farm colors. That's for yeah. sure. For Lobo, those, you know, and. I like anything fluorescent, quite frankly. <laughs> Makes sense to me, brother. <laughs> and I, you know, it's um, where it's been challenging, obviously, is when you've got four whites and you've got one guy wearing a white cap, one wearing a black cap, or three wearing a white cap. Um, it, it's 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 been a little crazy, but uh, we're doing the best we can. And I, uh, you know, I I don't think it's by any uh, what do you what's the word? Um, definitely, it's not by my fault for not being prepared. I. Uh, I have I have really committed myself hard. Yeah. Do, do you? I mean, I, I've never asked another round. So do you cheat out the saddle cloths at all? Can you I do have, that? A, absolutely. Well, you can when they get a little bit separated. Obviously, when they're side by side, it does not work. Mm-hmm. You know, that was one thing Michael Rona emphasized to me um, early on. He's all, you know, he, it was funny when I, Michael answered my letter in 1992. And when I first went up to the booth, you know, he was like, ah, mate, very nice to meet you. I loved your letter. Da, 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 da. Tell me how you go about doing it. And I go, ah, it's real easy. You know, you just learn the name of the horse and you associate it with that saddle towel. And he's like, well, that's great for today, mate, but we're going to have to teach you how to do it a different way. And he sent me over into a room a couple doors away from him. And I remember like, what does he know? This is how you do it. And then I, <laughs> I had never called out of my binoculars to that day. And, and that's the whole key. When you're in your binoculars, you cannot, 
you can't rely on your saddle towels when you're in your binoculars. You have to, um, and, and it's basically when they're side by side, you have to have other ways to identify them. That's why you get into shadow rolls, you get into blinkers, you get into sleeves, you get into silks, you get into caps and anything that can, you know, anything that can, uh, differentiate one horse from the other. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a great point. I was talking about the Godolphin thing a moment ago and brings up a horse that I want to, that I want to talk about some of your more memorable calls so far in this short meet. Uh, Axel Concepcion last week, and you probably know where I'm going with this, was riding one of those high priced uh, firsters for Godolphin. I believe the yep. horse's name was Befriended. Befriended, right? yep. And he made his move on the turn for home. He was like three to two, something like that. You know, it's Brad Cox Godolphin. It should win. Uh, he made the move on the turn for home. He looked gone. He looked gone. But then Axel Concepcion lost the whip, and I think I have a fairly seasoned eye for, for an old man, and I did not see the whip. Uh, him lose the whip. You did. You not only saw it, you called it, and you mentioned all the way down the stretch. That was a great call. And ironically, he lost that race by an eyelash. Right. Uh, I mean, it's, it's one, is that something you always see or B, has it happened before you missed it and you didn't know it? I mean, that's, that, was, that was pretty impressive. I went back and watched the replay to see what I missed and you nailed it. So it happens. It happens fairly frequently, and quite frankly, I miss it more often than I catch it. I, I don't know how I caught. You know, it's all about progression. It's all about where you are in your race call that allows you to be at the right time and the yeah. right place. And um, you know, sometimes you know, I'm even guilty of it. Like, see, you wa- you want to try to rattle off names, and you want to let the owner or trainer know, hey, hear their horse more than once or in a call. But sometimes you're better off maybe skipping maybe the last four or five horses, especially through the turn, so then you can get back towards near the action. And I'm, you know, I'm I'm starting to real starting to get a little better at that as I've gotten older the last year or two. Like recognizing, hey, here's where the action really is in this race. Let's let's stay here. And I, I just happen to be in the right place at the right time. Same thing happened with Everland the other night when. When, when that horse, when she encountered all of her trouble, I just happened to be right there in my progression of the call. Otherwise, half the time you miss it. Yeah, I'm glad. And again, it's, I swear to God, I think you can see into this room that I'm at because that was my next thing was Everland. <laughs> um, again, for those that didn't know, everybody's watching the race on Saturday night. We were watching the race on Saturday night. There was a uh, Jonathan Thomas dropper who's got even money, um, six to five, something like that who should have won the race, right? It was the best horse in the race. But unless you saw the race, unless you heard your call, you have no idea what this horse was. It was a fleet Alex-esque to some extent for this. So if you could just walk people through it because you caught it at the right time and it was an amazing, and you made commentary all the way down the stretch about it and stuff when the horse came from, overcame, I mean, serious obstacles when that race. If you can walk us through it real quick. Well, you know, it's funny about that call, too, is I, I'm going to probably have to go back and listen to it. But I might have run into a little bit of troubles with identifying a horse or so. So I went back to the front again. And by doing that, it allowed me to get through to go back. And then when I got back to that, you could see there was a big long shot along the rail. The two horse. I don't remember the horse's name. I know the 99 to one something. I, I it, was, it was some I can't even remember the name, but it was like. Three W's or something. Wish we something, whatever. Yeah, I know you're talking about. Yeah. Yep, yep. But I, and so all of a sudden, I don't know what happened with that horse. Took an awkward step, bounced off the rail either or, and the seven was right behind her. And boy, 
Alex might have gone out of the irons. And, you know, Caitlin Free on her on her on her Twitter account said a fleet Alex, just like you did. And it, it totally, totally was him. And uh, the horse had no right to come back and win. It, it was so funny because after that happened and I said her chances were extremely compromised with that. I went back to the leaders, and I could not believe that all of a sudden here was the seven ready to run up on heels. I mean, and she almost got in more trouble again by doing that. And then she had a tough spot along the inside, and uh, it was a it was a pretty cool move. Uh, one of my buddies who lives in New York, he's a he's a standard bred trainer, and he's pretty he critiques me all the time, and uh, <laughs> he and, and sometimes it's not for the good. He likes to make fun of me when I make mistakes. Uh, you know, that's I guess that's what friends and and brothers do to one another. But um, I don't do that, but that's what this kid does to me. <laughs> I, I used to work with his father at Bay Meadows. His name's David Despeve. I love him to death. He's like my little brother. And uh, he texts me. He's all, you are one heck of a race caller, brother. And I was like, all right, cool, man. That meant a lot to me for him to tell me that. But just happened to be lucky. Once again, at the right progression of, my, of, of going through the uh, identification process, just got lucky. Well, yeah, lucky. But at the same time, Tony, and it's, you explained what happened because not everyone is as in tune as CeCe is, as I am, or Jeff, or Brandon, or even or yourself, right? They don't know. So the people out there, they understood what happened, right? For the average casual person just came out there to bet $2 or coming out on a Saturday night. So I love the fact that you explained it down the stretch, right? So people understood what happens because then people went back and watched the replay like I did who may not have seen that or whatever. So I hope you keep doing those things. So. No, hey, I'm I'm gonna I'm just gonna keep rolling from I've you know one thing I've always done as a race caller is like try to try to shoot from the hip. Um, sure, I have some things scripted out that I'm gonna say, but as far as like being, you know, what's the word, proactive or react, you know, reacting to situations, I'm just gonna kind of shoot from the hip and hopefully, you know, you phrase it properly. Uh, seems like sometimes I. You know, I've gotten a little better with that. Sometimes you get a little tongue tied. It's I'm very I critique myself pretty pretty in depth. I'll go back and I'll be like, wow, what did you say? That doesn't even make any sense. Do you know how to speak English? You know, and then <laughs> you know, and even like that call, like I'm still critical. I'm like, okay, I called it I called her Everland. It's probably her probably name is Everland. So I'm gonna. I was like after the fact, I was like, yeah, it was a pretty good call, except you didn't really pronounce her name correctly. So just just little things like that. I mean, I'm I'm really all over myself. <laughs> well, I tell you what, now that you've been here, let's get a, like a before I hand it over to CC, a real broad question, uh maybe not so much about the announcing, just that you've had 5 weeks of the racing now. What are, do you do you have any overall impressions of the racing product as a whole here, whether it be the surface, whether it be the the, the gambling aspect of it, the, the jockey colony. I mean, you see it better than anyone, right? You're going through the high-power binoculars. Do you have any impressions of the racing as a whole? I I like it a lot. Um, you know, it has it has its fair mix. I mean, you know, you have you have some you have some lower level races, the maiden claimers, and you know the, but the allowance races are excellent. I, I've loved the high quality of the two-year-old maiden special weights. Um, I not even in my obviously I was only in Northern California, so this by far eclipses that tenfold i mean this is this is crazy i'm looking at some of these horses and they're breeding and you know and then you're calling all these big trainers and their jockey colony is pretty cool um we've got some we've got some we've got some cowboys that's for sure we've got some guys that know how to ride like there's no tomorrow i've uh and of course the big field sizes that's 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 the fun part because they just they come from everywhere it's it's 
it's pretty awesome how all of a sudden you got them circling five wide and winning. You've got them making inside trips, tipping into the two path, diving back to the rail and winning. Um, it, it keeps you on your toes. I, uh, you know, I think I was talking with Kevin Kirstein and we were kind of agreeing and I was actually talking with Bill Downs, another fellow announcer friend of mine that just recently got the Golden Gate job. And we thought maybe besides Kentucky Downs, it might be the hardest place in the country to call, to be honest. <laughs> I would agree with that. And I'm no race caller, but, uh, not to put any pressure on you before I kick it to CC, you also know you've got this whole derby prep coming up in March, too, that's been pretty uh, fortuitous last couple years with the Kentucky Derby. No pressure, just a 100-point race. That's all, right? Yeah, you know, you know, I knew you were bring that one up. I've already been talking to that one with my friends. Um, You know, I've got – how many days is that? I'm, I'm probably going to start marking it. I might even get, like, some – devote a whole wall and just start marking off a calendar day each day to it. It's um. I remember when I first called my very first – uh. El Camino Real Derby back in 1999, how nervous and petrified I was to call that race. And uh, a very famous horse ran in that one, charismatic. He did not win. He ran second. A John Sheriff's horse named Clico beat him. And, and I'm not comparing the El Camino to the Ruby because the Ruby has really stepped up its game. But, um, yeah, way to go, pal. Way to have me already start washing, have me <laughs> only, start washing out ahead of time before that, you know. Only 75 days away or something like that. You'll, All right. You'll nail it. Yeah, I think, I think we'll be. You know, what's going to be funny about that is it's like, okay, cool. I get to call, I, I'll call all the races at Turfway Park leading up to the Ruby and they've all been under the lights and then you're going to put the biggest race of the season and you're going to make me do it. It'd probably be like nothing but a massive amount of sun in my eyes and, um, you know. They're making probably, you earn their money. They're making probably, you earn your money. Probably have a hard time holding down the dinner, breakfast, and lunch from the same day. Uh, that that one, that one, yeah, we're definitely. Uh, I've already been thinking about that one intently. Uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, paging Travis Stone to the booth. Travis Stone, please report to the booth, please. <laughs> In the meantime, we'll just worry about these five thousand dollars nine winners of two and stuff, and I'll let you. And I'll go ahead and kick it to CC so you have a go at you here, Tony. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Well, Tony, I'm I'm going to fanboy out for a little bit here. I, I've got a <laughs> got a mental list of my basically my track announcer power rankings in my Uh-oh. head. Oh, oh boy, my favorite. But yeah, yeah, you're you're right. I mean, you know, all time Tom Durkin, Chick Anderson, Dave Johnson, obviously. But you know, I'm thinking current current announcers. I love Travis Stone. Of course, Trevor Denman is all time. I think you're right there with them, man. Your your voice that, that gravelly. Clem McCarthy style voice. I love it. I'm so happy that you're the track announcer at Turfway. That is so cool. And like, like, like you were just alluding to just a few seconds ago, I'm looking forward to your call of the Jeff Ruby stakes and all those stakes races on that day. That's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be, of course, going to be historical. Of course, your, your, uh, your voice will be attached to a derby prep. And, and, and don't forget, uh, the last two years, the uh, last year, uh, two fields won the race and ran second in the derby. And the year before that, Rich Strike ran third in the in the race and and went on to to win the Kentucky Derby so that uh, that that race has uh a lot of importance in this area so uh, very very excited to 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 uh to hear your uh, your call that race but uh I think one of the things that makes a good track announcer is like I could probably call a race I wouldn't be very good at it though I, because uh you know I think a lot of a lot of bad track announcers they kind of get lost and they try to catch up as the race unfolds, you're on top of the race. You're, you're, you, it's, it's, it's like, you, you know, you react almost split second to anything that happens that you can see in your binoculars. I, 
you know, I, and like I said, I'm just fanboying right now, but I, I, I greatly appreciate, uh, your style of, of calling races. So that, that's, uh, yeah, you know, the anticipating, anticipating, um, I've been watching races since I was eight, 10 years of age. Um, I think that has a lot to do with it. You get a lot of people, Hey, I could do that. I could do that. Yeah. You probably could get up there and you probably could get from point A to point B, but when a horse is third by four lengths with a, eighth and a 16th to go and I know he's going to win you're not going to know he's going to win and that's the not you you know not UCC just the the average guy you know what I'm saying when I get people oh I could do that I could do that yeah but no I am I do take a lot of pride and I think it's just because of the fact I've watched so many so many horse races but a friend of mine Joe Serralo he was the assistant racing secretary at Belterra for a couple years and I was back to being a jockey agent he was a jockey agent at Finger Lakes where I met him and he had told me that the one thing that he always liked about my calls is that I was I was I was in front of the action while a lot of guys are behind the action. Yeah, great minds think alike. <laughs> Very much so. All right, well, I got a really stupid question. Not, okay, that's all, that's all right. Yeah, well, Alan took all my questions. Yeah, um, Alan, damn it. Yeah, all right. So uh, yeah, but all right, so. Alan's got, Alan's got me washing out on the ruby. He took all your questions. I mean, what's he up to tonight? Come on. Right. Well, what he doesn't know, I can I can edit his part out. <laughs> Good point. Good point. <laughs> so anyway, uh, like I said, really dumb question. Turfway starts right around six o'clock, and of course nine, yeah, nine races usually. I don't think they run ten very often, but yeah, nine races. That's right at my dinner time. What uh, what do you do? Like, do you, do you have a big meal prior to, to getting to the racetrack? Or do you, <laughs> wait, do you wait till it's all over and, and, and you go out. What what what's your uh, what's your plan of action to, to eat? Well, it's yeah during the card saltine crackers. Um, oh my gosh! I just I can't I, I I don't like to eat a lot during the races. I don't like acid reflux. Um, I don't I don't want to be belching on the mic and I've just so. I try to eat pretty light, like I'll eat around noon or one. Like I made the mistake, I think it was one day last week I made myself, and I normally don't eat bacon and eggs on race days, and I think I made a bacon and eggs and and toast at, at noon, and it was still lingering at 6 or 7 o'clock. I was like, gosh, why didn't I just stick to my turkey sandwich? But it's, it's usually pretty blah. Pretty blah on race days, to be honest. Um, at Finger Lakes, I'll tell you my routine. At Finger Lakes, you know, I'll wake up and I'll have a piece of toast and then I'll get to the booth and I'll, I'll eat my sandwich. I make, I'll bring my own turkey sandwich in it around, you know, and I'll eat that around, um, quarter to 12 or 12. Here I, I haven't brought any food. Saltine crackers is what I bring in. I, I try to get my meal in by 12, 1230 at the latest. I should be a hell of a lot skinnier than I am, gentlemen. <laughs> so, I remember, uh, Will Purdue. Used to talk about playing games at night, and they'd get back to the hotel after they, you know, after the game game's over, and they they couldn't sleep, so they go out. So, just curious, what do you can you just wind down? I know you're not playing, you're not actually riding the race, or, you're, or you're, can you just go back to the hotel or wherever you stay and just wind down and and go to bed or go to sleep, or do you have to actually? Is it a process to unwind? Yeah, the um, I'm still I'm still trying to figure that one out. When you when you figure it out, let me know. Um, 
I haven't worked nights since 06. So I get home around 10 to 11 and I'm, I'm hungry, you know, so that's not helping matters. And then I'm still wound up and you want to go back and listen to replays or you want to just kind of catch up with what's going on. And, um, no, nah, my, my sleeping patterns aren't the greatest anyway. I, I have some insomnia issues, which is no good. So that's not helping matters. So it's, um, it's, it's still a work in progress, to be honest. But, um, no, I, I can't just walk in the door and then go shut her down. I'm, I'm usually up till one or two. And even then I'm still having trouble getting to sleep, which sucks. We need to ask that for, for jockeys too. I wonder what jockeys do. Like on, on a, I mean, back in the old days, Turfway would run up until like 11 o'clock. And a lot of these guys, they'd have to drive an hour or two hours. I think, I wonder what they, wonder what they did. What if they go out, go out to bars and stuff like, like NBA players do? That'd be, uh, need to bring that up next time we have a, a, a jockey on. Well, you know, what's funny is you're bringing that up for me. What about those? What about the trainers? What about the grooms? What about the jockeys? They've all got to get up at the crack of dawn and start over again. I mean, at least I get to get banker hours. I don't, I don't have to get out of bed till whenever. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, let's swing it over to Brandon. Yeah, hey, Tony. So you've called for so many years, and I was just curious. Maybe the guys already know this, but I don't. And Maybe, I'm sure a lot of our audience may not know, but have you ever been into horse ownership, uh, even though you've called so many races? Have you ever gone in with friends and partnered on anything or claimed anything that you saw at the track? Or Yeah, you know, once upon a time, I did some of that sort of stuff. Um, back in Northern California, I was allowed to own some horses. They ran under my mom's name initially, and then when she passed away um, – Jack Liebel let me run them under my name, and you know I've I've, I've done my little fair share. Uh, and what my, I had an ex girlfriend who trained horses at Finger Lakes, and even, my name wasn't on the program, but um, obviously everybody knew we were a couple, and I was in there mucking stalls every morning. So, you know, yeah, I think it's hard not to, you know, when you're a fan of the game, you know, it's 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 pretty cool, right? So, um, but um, nothing serious. Um, I think I've had a I think I had one stakes horse once upon a time, just a small one. The ex-girlfriend and I, we had a horse who won the New York Oaks. Her name was Wait a Minute. She was a pretty nice one. She uh, recently got retired. She hasn't panned out since her three-year-old year, and she got under a different trainer. And then when when um, we broke up and I just got out of that situation with her and the other owners, and um, but that was pretty cool. We got to run her at Saratoga. I had a horse once upon a time in Northern California. He beat Lava Man. His name was Soccer Dan. I owned a very small share of him with some friends. And he beat Lava Man before Lava Man became famous. And we were able to go run third in um, a three-year-old prep up at Emerald called the Seattle Slough. And and he ran in the the, uh, Emerald Breeders' Cup Derby around um, Labor Day and made a big move before he kind of hurt his ankle a little bit and he never really was the same, but yeah, I've, I've, I've had my share of a few horses. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Cause I figured after so many years calling so many races, uh, you know, you get the itch every once in a while to do it. So my father uh, always wanted, yeah, my father always wanted to um, own horses when, um, you know, my, my dad died when, I was pretty, my dad died when I was about 18 and we never got to really have that dream together to, um, to have some horses. So I've kind of done it a little bit, you know, 
in honor of him, but um, I wish my, my checkbook probably wishes I did in it sometimes, but <laughs> maybe maybe right. that's why I'm driving a 99 Forerunner because I've owned too many racehorses in my life. <laughs> uh, uh, and then kind of my last question is, very you know, small percentages it, it, on all of them, though. Very small percentages. Yeah. Well, going back through history, I guess, can you name maybe some of the top calls that that you've uh, that come to memory, like right off the bat, since I'm putting you on the spot, like, you know, a t- the top two or three calls that you've made in your lifetime? Well, you know, I mean, Lost in the Fog, I had a couple good ones with him, his – his debut run, the meat and potatoes of the call wasn't the greatest, but I got lucky with a good, good line near the end. You know, he he ran a great debut and tried to alert everybody to remember him that he was going to be special. And then when he won the uh, Bay Meadows Breeders' Cup Sprint leading up to his, that uh, which made him I think a perfect ten for ten before he went and lost the Breeders' Cup. That race will always stand out. Um, my first San Francisco mile in 1999 was pretty awesome. Tuzla, a Julio Canani mare, won the race, and there were like eight of them separated by about two lengths. So that that was a lot of fun. No question about that. And my Verstappen call last year, Verstappen, Verstappen, however you want to pronounce his name, that one's always that yeah. one's kind of cool for me, too, with my Red Bull gives you wings. I, awesome, awesome. I, I had that one scripted. I had told a buddy of mine, I actually told a few yeah. of my friends, I go, guys, here you go. I go, I'm going to give you guys a Bolsara to uh, Verstappen double. I think it paid 37 for a buck. I should have had 100 on it myself, <laughs> but I I didn't. I, of course, I was in town. I was tending to my business, but I, a few of my friends got there, and I, but I had already predicted it. I, I Googled him. I'd never heard of who, a who the Formula One driver was. So I Googled it, and when I found out he rode for Red Bull Racing, I'm like, man, if this horse could win, that would be a really cool call. And um, so you know, yeah. But yeah, I've been doing. I've been doing it. Go. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I recall. That's so funny that you just said that because I, I was thinking about it because it was you that made the call, but it was. Years ago now, I forget. That was Brendan Walsh horse, right? I think. And wasn't Declan on that horse? Yeah, that was. Yeah, that was. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah, last winter. Yeah, it was last winter when I was. Yeah, that was pretty cool. All right, we'll wrap this up, Tony. As these guys have said, we appreciate. We might be having a little bit of technical difficulty. We'll be working on here a little bit. That's all good. Yeah, it's all good. But uh, the bottom line is, your voice supersedes everything, right? That's that booming baritone voice here, so. uh, but again thank you so much again I'm seriously thinking about coming up there Saturday. I might bring these guys with me yeah you guys let so, me know watch come yeah. upstairs watch a race yeah maybe my wife and kid or whatever to see if I can get them away from the Florence Mall y'all you know what I'm saying so, <laughs> yeah, I just I just was over there today in that little neck of the woods boy it's uh there's a lot of a lot of nice shops over there that's for sure anybody recognize you yet or don't recognize your voice no. you to it's no, coming. It's nobody, coming. Nobody. You know what's funny is like when you're walking out after the end of the night and and, and you say something. I'm I've been waiting for somebody to go hey and turn around, but nobody's kind of picked up on. And, and you know I I dress up my announcer voice a lot more. You know get that announcer voice going a little bit more. Sometimes I keep it a little more low key and. Uh, but I do the same thing on here. I sound like Pee Wee Herman in real life. <laughs> so I know where you're coming from. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Well, you know, it's funny. Like, you know, it's like, um, 
you ask it like, how do you do, how do you memorize all this and that? And I tell my girlfriend all the time, it's like, I don't know, there's something about when I get in that announcer's booth, all of a sudden uh, I become a much more confident person than I am in real life. It's kind of funny. It's kind you of put strange. on that cape, brother. You put I on guess that cape. so. I don't know. That's hey, your phone booth. That's your phone booth for Clark Kent. And you become super announcer, right? And you hit the booth. Chip's always bringing up, uh, up, up, up some of his friends and other people up to the booth and they look at me, wow, how do you do that? I'm like, well, I don't know. I can't change a light bulb. So we can, at least we got something we can fall back on. That's true. That's true. <laughs> well, brother, I mean, I really do appreciate it. We, we want to have you on here all the time. You're just, you're a natural, you're, you're the prototypical perfect fit for one of my favorite racetracks. It's not my favorite racetrack. So, uh, I appreciate having you here. These guys do too. And the Turfway fan base appreciates having you there. So uh, let's hope it's a long marriage, okay? Yep, sounds good to me. I, uh, you know, I like to thank everybody for all their support and all their love. And, uh, like I said, it's been, it's been great. And, you know, I, I know when I've made my share of mistakes and I've expected to get ripped and everyone's been pretty cool and not really taking shots when there were opportunities. So. Well, thank you again, Tony. We'll be looking to see you. Calling a race again tomorrow night, okay? Yep, sounds good. All right, guys, awesome. All right, that was Tony Kalo. I, I'm so happy that he's the track announcer at Turfway. He does a fine job. He's really hard on himself, and he has no reason to be because he's, A, he's naturally talented, B, he works hard, and C, the product is fantastic. He's perfect. I mean, it makes it fun. You know, sometimes, like, you you appreciate race callers, right, because they do a good job. It's a hard job. There's, I mean, it's a tough job. But he's got a different approach where it's, he's got the voice, plus he's descriptive and colorful during the race, and he's on point. It's the perfect match, and he's a perfect match for Turfway. I, he just is. And you know how I feel about Turfway. So anything that can accentuate, to me, the best gambling track in the country, the, the most interesting track in the country, uh, is good. And Tony is right on point with that. All right. So let's let's wrap things up here. Uh, uh Honestly, I don't even know what's on the calendar coming up. I know Turfway's probably got some kind of stakes race, but I haven't even looked at uh, Saturday's card. Uh, Jeff, you got anything coming at Fairgrounds that you like? Um, I mean, there there are a few things coming up. Uh, I'd say January 20th, Road to Kentucky Derby Day, featuring the, the LeCompte and the Silver Bullet Day stakes. You know, some Derby and Oaks preps going on. There's some um, serious contenders that have come out of those recently. And then uh, February 17th is the the big one. Uh, Louisiana Derby Preview Day. That's when the the Risen Star and Rachel Alexandra. I mean, those races. Last three Risen Star winners were Angel of Empire, Epicenter, and Mandaloon. So you know, major major Derby contenders through there. And then two out of the last three Rachel Alexandra winners were Pretty Mischievous and Clear Air, who are superstars as well. So those are two days to to really mark on your calendar: January twentieth and February seventeenth to be to be watching out at uh at fairgrounds. I think we got a Pegasus World Cup coming up here soon, probably in the next few weeks too. That, that race is probably not going to come up very strong. Uh, maybe, maybe White Abario resurfaces, but, uh, outside of that, I don't think there's a lot of star power. But, uh, you know, at Turfway Park, you don't need star power. You just need full fields and competitive racing. So, uh, Brandon has passed out. He's, he's done for the night. So we'll wish him farewell. We'll see him next week. Uh, any, anything else that anybody else wants to declare? Before we sign off, no happy New Year. That's all I'll declare, right? Any any predictions for uh, 2024? Uh, I'm going to retire, and I'm going to retire in a year. That's that's the prediction. It's not a prediction. That's a fact. So outside of that, everything else is whatever. 
Well, that's a great New Year's resolution right there. That's the best one I've heard so far. That's not even a resolution, though. It's not a resolution. That's just a a fact. Yeah, a fact. (laughs) That's right. All right, guys. That's all for now. So on behalf of uh, Brandon Jaggers, Jeff Riggs, Alan Schneider, and, of course, our wonderful guest, Tony Kahlo of CC Broadus, reminding you in the words of our spiritual leader, Jerry Romans, we're not happy unless you're not happy. Good night. (laughs) 